Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Secret Podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. I'm your host, Jess Root from CardsWire.com, the USA Today NFL Wire site covering the Arizona Cardinals. And with me, recording on a Tuesday night for our review show, is Seth Cox from RevengeOfTheBirds.com and one of the hosts of the original Draft Breakdown podcast, SB Na- well, Revenge of the Birds, of course, is SB Nation's Arizona Cardinals site, and we are on episode 460 as we... As we continue through our kind of our new form, you know, multiple shows a week, um, this will be our past weekend, our week one review, we'll, we'll come back on, we'll record Thursday night, and I'll have that show for you on Friday morning about our picks and predictions, looking ahead and preview for the Giants game in week two, and I have an opponent, so I've got Dan Benton from Giants Wire that will talk about the upcoming matchup, get our, you know, behind enemy lines type show that will come on Saturday so we've got lots of content coming Seth um I I I, I don't I do well, who doesn't I do like to say I was right but holy crap that game on Sunday that pretty much went exactly how I thought it would be I thought well uh, I will say this that I thought the Cardinals defense was better than expected um, and it was less about it was less about the Washington offense being terrible, and more about the Cardinals defense playing really well. Um, but offensively, it was just you know, it was if I were you know if I described it, Geno Smith in twenty twenty one for those three games. That's what that offense looked like. But but they covered the spread made made me look good on one of my underdog picks. Right, and you know it's interesting to kind of go back in, dive into the numbers, dive into different things because we had an idea. I think is a good way to put it of what we expected to see, but then to actually see how everything played out, it was really interesting. And and you know, obviously, we'll talk about the offense, but what we saw on defense has to be. I don't know if exciting is the right word, but, you know, it's something that you should be excited about and and something that we could see, you know, becoming the calling card of this team. And we've seen in the NFL, if you have a, you know, uh, a great, and and they're not great yet, so I don't want anybody to think I'm saying that, but if you have a great uh, defense or a great offense, you can usually – uh, compete year in and year out at, while you figure out the other side of the ball. And to see them 
you know, start off on the right foot, look more than competent on defense outside of, you know, some over exuberance early in the game and, and things of that nature that, you know, it was, it was cool to see. It was good to see. And, and I think it's just, you have to look at it as more good things to come. Right. Yeah, it's it's and that's what that that's what we want to talk about this show. There's basically three things we want to go over in, in this edition of the show. We want to talk about what we learned about the defense. Um, what did we learn? There was lots of the good and the bad on the offense, and then any any other takeaways that we got. Um, that would be yeah. So let's jump right in with the defense because my goodness, if if. I like there were there were mistakes. When was the last time that we saw a Cardinals defense fly to the ball and play as violently? And I know this is something that they preach. They preach violence when it comes to football and they cross the line a few times. Can you recall another Cardinals defense that was ever this at least in in, in one game that just vicious? No, and that's, you know, that's what they've preached and that's what they've wanted. And to see it executed on, on in the first game is, you know, impressive. And, and, you know, it's what we were hoping this team would be about. You just never know, though, right? Like, you don't know if, if they're going to they're gonna buy in or play that way. And I know... People are going to not like this, and quite frankly, I don't care. But sometimes that first hit that Kaiser White delivered, that sets the tone for everybody else, right? Like, I'm not saying it was a smart thing or a legal thing or that it shouldn't have been called a penalty or anything like that, or even that he shouldn't have been thrown out. There's a strong consideration that he probably i mean i literally turned to my wife and my boys and i was like oh he's getting kicked out like but it's i think it it kind of set the tone for what the expectation and how they're going to play um yeah they're going to make mistakes but they're going to do it fast and they're going to do it viciously and they're going to do it in a way that they can make up for it with forcing turnovers and, and creating opportunities and and those things are something that we just haven't seen in a long time and that you know that made it that made it fun to watch for me i think the one thing that surprised me the most about this as we as we kind of previewed all off season the position groups and the strengths of of, of each group we had big questions about the defensive line, and it was the least impressive room on this team. Honestly, to me, it was the least impressive room on this team. But let's look at the look at the numbers, and, and I'm going to include Cameron Thomas because anytime I saw him on the field, he seemed to be playing inside. The defensive line, the not, not the edge guys, but the defensive interior guys, and I'm including Thomas because that's what I saw him doing the most. Is is rushing from the inside, kind of being kind of like a Zach Allen. 17 tackles, three sacks, three tackles for loss, pass break, a fumble recovery, and touchdown scored. When have we had a defensive line produced like that in the game before? Uh, you know, they <laughs> haven't, and, and that's what's impressive is because, like you said, it's not about 
the names it's about the effort and and that's what you know i feel like that was what jonathan gannon kind of wanted to preach in that little speech that everybody made fun of him for and (laughs) and so for that to be how they played in the first game i think was impressive i think it's it's exciting i think it's you know block building so to speak um and and all of those things so you know it's just one of the situations where it's early you know they they the two touchdown drives were of what maybe a total of of 50 like actual yards gained were 67 were penalties on the first drive and then and then um you know the the last drive was the the turnover by josh uh josh dobbs and and they had a short field so like the two touchdown drives even were again the the penalties were their fault you know but it wasn't like the commanders were just marching up and down the field on them and I think that's, you know, that was important. And, and we saw guys do different things. We saw guys have success in different different areas. And, you know, I think for the most part, you have to be, you have to look at this as a, a loss that showed that the defense is probably going to be the calling card, especially until Kyler Murray gets back. And it And it's going to do exactly what we said, keep them in games. And and it shows that after one game that what we saw in the preseason was confirmed from the starters. From the starters, at least, because after that, it was kind of messy in the preseason. But the fact that the starters being out there, they were physical. It was, you know, I mean, they're not like a historically good def- defense, so it's not like they're going to get three and outs every single time. But the fact that they were able to limit Washington to what was it a total of 248 yards um they held them on 33 percent on 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 third down they they averaged 3.3 yards per rush they forced three turnovers these are all great metrics (laughs) these are great metrics that they had um and 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 red zone you know what those those metrics that that defensive coordinators always preach is third down and red zone and they held them to 33 percent on third down and they were two for five scoring touchdowns in the red zone so there's not much you can there's not much to complain about other than the individual mistakes that they made early on but there was just and now Zayden Collins and Dennis Gardeck um and the fact that they're getting production for Victor Dimikaji, I am I am amazed at the production that they're getting, um, because you know Vance Joseph is a highly respected defensive coordinator, but it seems like Nick Rollis, Jonathan Gannon, are just elevating the play because like Victor Dimikaji was, he's a special teams guy and he started the game he he was productive. Gardick, who we thought like 2020 was a fluke. Oh my gosh, his his play was fantastic. Zaven, 
you know, he didn't get to the, but he was consistently pressuring the quarterback and that interception that he made, that was fantastic. And, and I wonder if, because I'm guessing they got this from the production meeting. There were multiple times where the TV broadcasters referred to Zayvon Collins as a, as a budding superstar, a burgeoning superstar, basically on the cusp of being a great player. And he had a pretty good season last year, but I don't think there was a, at a point at any point last year where anyone thought that he was going to be a star, just that he was going to be a capable, competent player. But for the, for the broadcaster to say that, that's a message that's being given to them in the production meetings with coaches. And it's, it seems that this coaching staff really, really believes in what Zayvon Collins can do. Yeah, and, you know, he didn't do much in this game as a pass rusher, but I don't think we were expecting that in his first true game as a pass rusher, right? Like, that wasn't – we weren't expecting him to come out and, and be Micah, Micah Parsons, right? But I think the other things he did, setting the edge, being in good position in coverage, allowing Jonathan Gannon to do things – you know, I was joking around with my my buddies on uh, the other day. One of the crazy things that we saw this week was um, <laughs> Wink Martindale, the the defensive genius that was going to unlock um, Isaiah Simmons for the New York Giants. One of the really interesting things was that. Uh, um, you know, they had him drop into coverage 25% of his pass rushing available snaps. This defense, it's a traditional 3-4. It really, <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and so that's the thing. So, like, when you have a guy like Zavin who's not a traditional edge rusher as of yet, right, you don't mind him dropping off because then you can you can bring four or f you can blitz from the inside like they did multiple times and you can you can create you can drop into zones without you know one of the things we always complain about why is vance joseph having chandler jones drop into coverage right what what is going on with that well in this defense that's okay because zavin's not necessarily your elite edge rusher at this point He's just one of your outside linebackers. And so that that makes this defense a little more multiple. Whereas, you know, a guy that you draft fifth overall to be an edge rusher that's, you know, dropping into coverage, you're like, hey, um, our defense is getting smoked right now. Can you not drop our best edge rusher into coverage? And so I think what it does is, and it's not an excuse for Zavin not, you know, playing well in his first or not rushing the passer well the first time he had a chance but it is a reality that hey you know what he still is able to contribute heavily to this defense and, and well uh, i didn't i didn't think well obviously he didn't pass for to production i th i thought he was productive in terms of what he did I, there was movement of the pocket there was pressure but i mean i don't know what the numbers what the actual metrics showed like he didn't hit the quarterback, he didn't sack the quarterback, but I, he did make Sam Howell move multiple times, right? With and, his pressure, and, and I thought he did an excellent, excellent job setting the edge as an edge defender, which is something that outside of Chandler we didn't see a whole lot of. 
the last couple of years. Like it was actually one of the weak spots of this defense. So, you know, it was a good thing. I wanted to ask you this, and I, I know you wrote the article today. Um, was the defensive rotation a surprise to you? Like how it's basically the sec it, it's basically the starting secondary and Kaiser White, and then everybody else is on a rotation. You know, I mean, I, I know I know Kayvon Wallace played a ton of snaps as like the nickel he, he, guy. He was Isaiah Simmons. The, he's right. playing what they had. I thought, I thought that they were going to use Antonio Hamilton um, basically as the slot guy, but apparently they like JT playing the slot, and they bring in Wallace to be Isaiah Simmons. And the fact that Isaiah Simmons didn't fit in this defense that says a lot of about him. If you know, yeah, and I, I don't know if we talked about the Odegaard article after the fact. Did we talk about that? Uh, not really. It, we, we didn't have a chance to talk, but the fact that, you know, and, and Monty Austin for it on the, on the final preseason uh, broadcast suggested it, you know, it was, he what you know, he, it, we, there was a cultural fit problem. And the fact that they moving, they moved into a position that he supposedly felt better about, and he can't, like, Kayvon Wallace is a fine player, but Isaiah Simmons playing that position should be special. Why, right. he, wouldn't, why he wouldn't fit in, in that violent, you know, play. Well, and there's, I mean, there's two plays in this game that Kayvon Wallace made that if he has even not even Isaiah's size, but just Isaiah's athletic ability, they're pick sixes. And, and so, like, that's, you know, what's lost in this situation, um, you know, but and it's unfortunate that Isaiah didn't fit. But, you know, the way the rotation worked with the secondary, you know, both safeties, both corners and Kaiser, basically, they're going to be on the field 100 percent of the time. I know Jalen Thompson didn't play one snap. But they're, he, they're basically he, he left because he he had to come out of the game for a, for a play. I yeah, was it his helmet came off? Right, it was he. he there was he was shaken up on one play, and so there was okay. an injury time. He had to come off the field. Right, so like it's not like they were gonna. So basically, it looks like what they're doing is they're gonna play like you said, mostly a traditional three four. They're gonna roll. So they're rolling Kayvon Wallace in and they're taking are they taking out woods or they're, are they yeah, they're taking, taking out that's it was for for much of what it was and i don't know if it was exclusively they maintained their five-man front and left kaiser in and then had five defensive backs they basically had a five one five yeah that's what I, <laughs> that's what i thought yeah and so it's interesting to see how they rotate it because uh, you know zaven collins and jonathan ledbetter lead the way with just over 40 snaps so what about 60% of the snaps, which is the, the lead better thing. That's what we said. The lead D, D tackles do right. And, and Collier was at 37. So he's, you know, just above 50%. But from there, it's just basically a rotation, right? Like, it's yeah. like, it's like, here you go, guys. Like Watkins plays a little less than half strong plays a little less than half Gardak, Thomas, Dimmick. And then, 
it's almost like they're playing them in waves and they're like, Hey, you've got, you know, four plays this series, or you've got this series. So like, go like go balls to the wall and like, know that like, you're going to get a break the next series. So like, we don't need you to come back in. Cause like, didn't it seem in the game, like Dennis Gardeck played way more than just 28 snaps it to be did. as it, just, it really did. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, and, and again, I want to point out when you look at how they're being utilized, it's really crazy that basically a third of their passing defensive snaps, they drop these guys into coverage. I mean, and it's, and that it, what it creates is an unknown for the defense. They can't say, Oh, Zavin and Dennis are in. So uh, Zavin's going to drop and Dennis is going to rush. You can't say that because it's, I mean, Zavin, Pass rush 22 times, dropped eight times. Gardeck pass rush 15 times and dropped six times in a coverage. You know, Demikaji rushed the passer 10 times and dropped into coverage three times. Jesse Lucetta rushed six, dropped in once. BJ Algeleri had seven pa- or 12 snaps, seven pass rush, two he dropped into coverage. Like it's legitimately almost a third of their passing down snaps. They drop into coverage. So what it does is it just makes them, it just creates this unknown that you could, they can bring anybody at any point at any time. I mean, Kaiser White blitz, Buddha Baker blitz, blitz Jalen Thompson blitz, Kayvon Wallace blitz, Josh Woods blitzed. Um, I'm looking, I'm going Chris Barnes blitzed. Uh, I mean, that's, they, they literally will bring anybody from anywhere at any time, but they'll also drop off into coverage. And what that does is it confuses quarterbacks. It confuses what they're looking at and what they're seeing. But it also creates pass rush when, let's be honest, there's not a great pass rush. Like there's not one guy that you're like, oh, this guy's – I mean, there's not a Chandler Jones. There's not, there's not that guy on the roster. And so for them to be able to get six sacks in the first game, I mean, and and I know a lot of people say like, oh, sacks don't matter, you know, like th- that stuff doesn't matter. But it's crazy to me that that they had six sacks and the Philadelphia Eagles had five or three. Like that's just, that's absurd because there's a 0% chance that you're taking the the Cardinals front over the Eagles front. And and that's just the way sometimes it works out. And, you know, these guys, they played really well. Um, They did a great job of making plays. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they continue to grow um, this year because, you know, there's, there's obviously warts. I mean, there's obviously things that need to be worked on, but, you know, for the most part, I thought it was, it was a nice introduction. Coming up next on the Rise Up Series podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. Let's move on and talk about the other side of the ball, which there wasn't nearly as good, there wasn't nearly as many good things. The offense. That's coming next on Rise Up Series Red. Back on the Rise Up Series Red podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. We have lots of good things to say about the defense. The offense is a different story. Um, yeah. What was good? What 
was bad. But let's start with the good because honestly, there wasn't much to it. But didn't it, at least their initial drive, the different looks and the different types of plays they called, that gave a little bit. That felt fun, didn't it, for a little bit? Yeah, and, you know, it was fun to see different types of things. And like you said, like, it got to the point where they couldn't run the stuff. It The, uh, we'll call it the Dobbs effect, came in. And that's not a shot at Dobbs. It's just a reality. I mean, a guy that's been here less than two weeks, he's not going to play well. It's just, I mean, he's just not going to play well. And so, um, and we talked about it too, man. They, they're going up against the best defensive front in the NFL. Like they're just so good, and and it and it showed. I mean the the uh, the run blocking was not good. The pass blocking was okay. A guy we thought looked really good in the preseason and yelled a Froholt looked awful. Um, you know, DJ Humphreys looked like it was his first game back in a while. He did not play well. You know, but outside of that, you you look at it. I think you're excited about, uh, we talked about a little bit. James Conner looked a little more explosive. You know, he looked like a guy that can be, be productive in this offense. I I liked what I saw out of Trey McBride. Zach Ertz isn't healthy, a healthy Zach Ertz, even though that was a poorly thrown ball, probably catches that high pass for a touchdown, right? Like all of those things played a role and yet they still got the ball back with plenty of time to win the game. They still had multiple chance. Like all of the negatives still didn't matter because they still had a chance at the end. (laughs) And honestly, that was because of the defense, but offensively there was just, uh, you liked what you saw schematically. You hated what you saw executionally Um, because what you saw was some fun things in the running game, uh, multiple stuff on, on the running side of things. You saw moving the pocket, um, which if we if we see that from Kyler, I think that will be really good. Uh, we saw Rondell Moore use a little bit down the field. Um, it was as much as as much as we like that that the defense looked like a it looked like your traditional three four defense schematically. This offense looked less gimmicky, and I hate to call Cliff's offense gimmicky because it was based on, there were different philosophical type beliefs about things, but the idea of them not being predictable, I I thought that they were fairly predictable, but that might have been for a number of reasons, who they were playing uh, and, and lots of things like that. But what did we see a ton of? We saw a ton of tight end and running back um, usage. In fact, like I, I charted out the numbers of their 58 plays, 36 of them went in the direction of a tight end or a running back. That's that's a lot, but that also might have simply been part of the game plan against Washington, where we discussed how their strength is up front and less so in the middle and the back end. Right. And, you know, 
it's one of those situations where and it was funny we were actually talking at my youth football practice tonight about this the difference in how hard it is to find five offensive linemen that can play in unison and, and, and look good than it is to find four or five, you know, defensive front guys that you're just like, Hey, go kill people. Like it's just, it's so different. And, and again, when you talk about going up against the best, just across the board defensive front in the NFL with a bunch of killers and you're a new offense, you know, learning, playing with a quarterback that's been there less than two weeks. And, and let's be honest, uh, you know, a bunch of guys that didn't get a lot of reps together. I mean, none of these guys played all of these, none of this grouping all played together in the preseason. It never happened because Josh Jobs wasn't there and Zach Hurts wasn't there in the preseason. You know, DJ Humphrey's got what, like 20 snaps in the yeah. preseason. Like these guys just, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be, slow it's going to be ugly but you have to fight through the minutiae of what we saw especially the negatives and say like hey i love the usage of the two and three tight end sets i love the usage of of marquise brown i love the usage of michael wilson and rondell moore um zach Ertz and trey mcbride are going to be used a ton in this offense. And then James Conner is really going to thrive once they're able to throw the ball consistently a little bit more. Um, you know, if if they're able to throw the ball a little just I mean just a little bit better this this last game, they probably win by a touchdown. If Kyler Murray's playing, they probably win by two touchdowns, if not more. Like that's the thing. If it weren't for Josh Dobbs coughing up the football, they should win that game. And that's and that's with the right. offense playing bad. And and that's the part that for me was frustrating is that Oh, totally frustrating because you look at it and you say, What could have been based on you know, a, a bevy of things. What could have been if they, if, if they kept Colt McCoy or what could have been if they didn't give Colt McCoy this, the off season to see if his arm strength could build back up. And they just went and signed Jacoby Brissett or, or even Josh Dobbs in, in March, right? Like any of these guys. Yeah, and instead, yeah. and that's, you that's know, all part. the, go ahead. I was just going to, and I, I keep hitting, like, I said it when they cut McCoy and traded for Dobbs. I'm like, I, I, you can make the argument, but I have a hard time believing that even a washed up McCoy was a worse option than what we saw in week one. Maybe it improves. Maybe there is some upside, but we've seen Josh Dobbs since 2017. I think he is what he is. This isn't. This isn't Geno Smith, okay? Geno Smith, who was a widely like you love Geno Smith coming out of college, who was drafted high. Not he wasn't drafted, you know, he wasn't a first round pick, 
but many thought he would be, and got extensive starting experience on a bad team, and then waited. This is completely different. Josh Dobbs just he's been a QB three most of his most of his career. And now he's starting, and, and we're expecting him to be the best option that we have till Kyler gets back. I have a really hard time believing that, and I'm not hopeful about it. Yeah, and I mean, and if people are not, I understand why. I mean, Dobbs is Dobbs' career, the way he's played, the way he just missed things on on Sunday. It it was it was bad. I mean, there's no two ways around it it was it was just bad um and so he's got to be better if this team's going to win and and if they're not then you know a lot of that falls on him and it's just you know it just makes it tough because you want to be excited about things but at the same time it's hard to be excited when you've got you've got Josh Dobbs as your quarterback so you know I'm taking the wait and see approach I'm not overly panicked at this point because i realized that it was going to be a hard you know long hard season anyways like this was going to be one of those seasons that you kind of had to take with a grain of salt you look at their upcoming schedule you know we'll talk about the giants on thursday but you look at their upcoming schedule they got dallas who looked great san francisco who looked great Cincinnati, who looked like bums, but, you know, should be great. And then Los Angeles, who actually looked great um, in, in those six weeks. And so if, when do you bring back Kyler and, and do they look better? Like those all, those are all questions we'll have to ask. But like if they start to progress offensively, especially going into this next game or going coming out of this next game i think that just makes you more excited for what could be yeah it's i want to especially especially against a team that is not nearly as strong up front i know i mean i mean dexter lawrence is a monster but he is he is but outside of that they're they're a very vulnerable team um at on the defensive side of the ball and and you know, you hope that this team can improve, especially in their home opener, and, and and give this team a chance to win. Absolutely. So, yeah, Josh Dobbs, Josh Dobbs, Josh Dobbs. Coming up next on the Rise Up Red Podcast, best of our Cardinals talk on the web. Let's discuss any other takeaways that we've got from the game. That's coming up next on Rise Up Red. We're back on the Rise Up Red Podcast, best of our Cardinals talk on the web. You know... I know there are people who are rooting for the tank job that losing to the commanders probably was better in the long term. That said, when they had a, when they had a lead and they were, they were up 16 to 10 and then they have the ball. I'm like, they just need, they just need a field goal. If they can get, if they can get up by more than one score, they've got this. And then they, they turned the ball over. And so that's kind of how that went. You know, what did you think of the, the, the penalty drive um, that they had? The the two personal fouls, the, the Marco Wilson pass inter- you know, pass interference call. I know ultimately that was that was those were critical mistakes, but 
that and the, the the number of penalties ended with nine penalties for 122 yards. I think what it was. Did you feel that this team was as undisciplined as we've seen before? No, I mean I thought they started off just overly aggressive, trying to make a statement, and you know, like I said, I'm not going to say it was good, but like it felt like it was it set the tone for this defense to play the way it did. The Wilson, you know, P.I., that's just a boneheaded play. He got beat initially and then didn't want to give a big play. And if he would have just happened to peak, um, it would have been it would have been a situation that he would have seen that the ball was just thrown poorly and he wouldn't have got to it anyways, right? So, yeah. Um, I will say that one thing you know we hated about Patrick Peterson, but it's something that he was really smart about. If he knew early that he was beat, he'd grab the guy and he'd get caught yes. holding. So, but you've got to do that before the ball's thrown. But like he knew, like that's something that he knew, and he did multiple times. If he knew he got beat, he was he made sure to to get the five yard penalty and start again, rather than mauling, you know, running over the guy. In the, right in the route, uh, and then I thought there was a couple really ticky tack stuff, especially the roughing the passer. I didn't understand what that was, especially when you go later on and uh, Jonathan Allen literally clubs Josh Dobbs in the face for a sack, and they don't call that. So it's like, you know, some t- people say all the time, you know, the NFL's rigged or, or joke about it, and and there are instances where you see plays where you're like, huh. Like, I mean, the, the holding call on um, in the Patriots-Eagles game, I don't know if you saw it or didn't see I didn't, it. I didn't see that one. It was it was literally like a clean block, and they called a hold. And, and it was on Hunter Henry, the tight end, and, like, the guy just got pancaked and fell down, and Hunter Henry just kept running, and they called a hold. And you're like, uh, what's going on here? Like, what, what are we doing? Um you know, so it's just interesting how it goes. But, you know, at the end of the day, undisciplined, if you want to call it, or overly aggressive, which is what I would call it, especially the personal foul penalties. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I felt. It was they were it was less about mental mistakes, like pre-snap type things, as it was about over-aggression, bad decision-making, as opposed to the, the freaking – you know, false starts, those are or delay of game. Those are always just maddening. And these were these were football penalties as opposed to bonehead penalties. Right. Well, it's funny because I actually, you know, it's one of the conversations that you have as a coach all the time. It's like, hey, I'll take physical mistakes all the time. Like, I'll I'll take a physical mistake, but we can't have mental mistakes. And and you know. There were obviously there were several mental errors still, but at the end of the day, you have to be like, oh, this was there were just a lot of physical errors that they just need to continue to clean up and and get better about. Like I said, I almost feel like again, I'm not I'm not saying I'm okay with it, but I almost feel like the the Kaiser White penalty was just to kind of set the tone for the season. It might have been that it might have been that it was it was it was too much, but. White, like the, the the limited play time that we saw him in the preseason was he's going to set the tone, which is, that's going to be fun. Were you, with the game, 
were you more encouraged or did your opinion about this team stay the same or were you more discouraged? I was definitely more encouraged. I, you know, I was hopeful that we would see this kind of defense. I didn't, it's one of those things that you can always be hopeful, but, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to look at things and say, oh, well, this is actually how it happened or, or it's actually happening as opposed to like, oh, th- you know, we're going to be a physical and aggressive defense. And, and so just to see it, you're like, oh, this is, this is different. That's encouraging because not only did they say they were going to do it, they did it and they did it to a point where they, again, they had themselves in a position to win the game a better quarterback, they win that game. There, I mean, there's just no two ways around it. Right, right. Yeah, I, I was definitely encouraged. Well, and, and it it confirmed, at least initially, the little bit that we saw from the starting defense in the preseason. And I always felt, like when going back to our, like our game-by-game predictions and like the number of games we thought, I always felt that this year, even if it wasn't good early, that this defense would come together and be very competitive Competitive, simply because of the type of players and the type of scheme that they're running. I did. well, and let's let's not get it twisted either. We're not going to say that they're going to be a top four defense in the league. No, right? well, but we even if the, the projection is the projection from ESPN's Mike Clay is that they're going to give it four hundred fifty-seven points this year. Right, and so if they can be a top twenty-five or heaven forbid, top twenty scoring defense this year after what they did and and some of it was you know on their own um but uh, after moves they've made and the way that they've changed things around who you have to be excited yeah that's the and and more than anything i was just like if kyler's out there and then as you know as long as they stay healthy this this confirms in my mind my belief about this team if kyler's back that this is not going to this is not going to be a terrible team and it was disappointing to see, you know, power rankings and all that. But um, my network, um, Touchdown Wire's power rankings, they didn't move from number 32. I'm like, they showed that they were better. Now, granted, Washington's not good. Like, there were questions about Washington. They're a last-place team in the in the NFC East. But the way the Cardinals play was super encouraging. Do, do, I, do I think that they'll win more games? Like, I, we had them peg, I had them pegged winning one before Kyler gets back and I still think it's the case I still think that they can they, if there's a game that they can win it's this one because you know uh Cowboys 49ers uh, Bengals uh. <laughs> and so like if if there is an early win to be had it's this one and I don't think now and we'll talk like I don't we'll talk in the next show I don't even think it would be stealing a win in my opinion Right. And, and that's the thing is you have to look at it is that we knew that there was only, you know, two or three winnable games uh, in the first half of the season, just on paper, obviously things change and this was one of them. And so it sucks that they, I don't want to say gave up because it's not like they purposely lost this game, but like, it sucks that they gave up one of those chances by, going with Dobbs as the quarterback. And so hopefully, you know, they're able to continue to play at a higher level and and continue to 
play you know this wasn't a one-off like you said of oh well the commanders are just a really bad team and then you know like that's what i want to see moving forward because we there were questions about mount washington's offense so if the cardinals go out and play good defensively moving forward that just adds two things although we saw from the giants <laughs> i don't know if it, we we will know more about the cardinals if they do play well um, simply because of how bad the Giants looked on offense last week. Right, and, and you know, Daniel Jones, we, we joked about it. My buddies and I joked about it. Um, they basically, anybody that that paid their quarterback this offseason got a – got a bad return early and, and it's it's one game and it you know in the end it doesn't matter but it was just it's funny to see that because you know joe burrow became the highest paid player in nfl history and he looked worse than josh dobbs and daniel jones got 40 million a year and he looked worse than josh dobbs and so it's it's just <laughs> funny to see that it wasn't just arizona the difference being that those teams you look at and you go oh well, they'll just get it right, whereas like the Cardinals don't get the benefit of that, right? They no. they look at it and they go, oh, they lost one of their few opportunities for a win. Yeah, but we will we'll be back on Tuesday. This will and this will wrap up this edition of the Rise of Seward podcast, Mister of Cardinals Talk on the Web. We will record Seth and I will record Thursday night, uh, previewing the Giants game, and I will have one with um, a Giants writer uh, later on the week, probably for Saturday. I'll publish that. That's Seth Cox. I'm Jess Root. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be back again in a couple days. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.